You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile. And now, over to your hosts. That was my cue, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, I completely missed it this week. Uh, anyway, um, welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. My name is Rusty, and uh, this is probably episode number 6,000 or something. Um, we'll run with that for the moment. Joining us this evening, we are slightly distracted. Yeah, over there is Andrew. How are you, Andrew? Not too shabby. And yourself? Yeah, good, mate. Good to have you back. And over in the, uh, well, not in the corner. They're all corners. We're in a square room. Uh, over there, Galen. How hey, are you going? I'm good. How are you? Good, mate. Thanks for joining us again after the uh, PRI wrap-up episode. Thank Thanks you. for coming back on. Thanks for having me. No, you're, you're welcome, mate. And, gentlemen, how is... Well, Andrew, we haven't seen you for a little while, and, and Galen, actually, haven't seen you on podcast for a long time, but mm. haven't seen you actually either for a little while. How are you guys? Better than I'm, now that I'm here. I, yeah, yeah. Just stupidly busy, you know, like life is. And Yep. Know that one. Yeah. So, good to be back. Very good to have you back. Yeah, uh, about the same here, actually. Uh, just letting, uh, unfortunately, getting work in the way of living my life, like most of us. But um, yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the way what, it is. That's it's the way it happens. is. It's got to fund the habit, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And um, any any notable stories to tell us over the last few little while? Galen, probably actually no. The last time we would have had you on the podcast would have been up in Darwin. I, um, I, was I on? I don't think I was on the podcast. I think you were briefly on. Yeah, maybe passing maybe. comments. Yeah, yeah, about one of the stages yeah. or something like that. Yeah, correct. Yeah, mm. but the last time we sort of spent sort of you know a, a bit of time together was at the Northern Territory. Yeah, practical rifle competition. Yep, which uh, we both competed in, which was uh, pretty good. Yeah, certainly good fun uh, put on by Butters. Actually, I got a call from Butters uh, yesterday or the day before and just chatting about the shoot and some of the stages and bits and pieces. So, yeah, it was good fun. And Andrew, yourself, mate, you've been uh, just head down working and... Yeah, a little bit of shooting, but not so yep. much uh, sort of the long range type things. I, I shot a crow from five metres <laughs> and that was pretty good. 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 We just got an you know, easy way into it, you know. You just yeah, take, yeah, take so. a meter at a time. But when you got three little boys running around with you, yeah. they're kind of happy to see that happen. So totally. And did you? Um, did I hear right? You went bow hunting. Is that? I was going to, but yeah. then that work got in the way of oh, it. So, that old thing. Yeah. No, that will happen um, probably in the next few weeks. Okay. And yeah. Tee it up. So um, hopefully get some some big goats, forty inch plus goats. Yeah. So. Good. Nice. Yeah. Um, we are also on Facebook Live, by the way, um, because we've got some uh, toys to show off and play with and talk about. I guess talk about is probably the big thing. Uh, a little bit later, I am um, I am going to apologise right now. I am in the squeaky chair tonight, and I'm in the squeaky chair for a uh, reason, is that I attempted to play ice hockey again after four years hiatus on Sunday, and it did not go well. So my back is uh, all sorts of out, and I am, uh, you know, sitting down for the next hour or 45 minutes or however long this thing goes for is not going to be pleasant. So I'm trying to make myself as comfortable as I can. I last about 10 minutes on those chairs. Normally I'm okay. So they, but they, uh, then they, again, I'm th- talking to two guys who are older than me and yeah. going, shut up. Yeah, yeah we thanks, know what it's thanks like. Thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they taught your lesson out there on the ice. 
oh no no I I, I played okay yeah um you still I just hit people I, yeah <laughs> just didn't recover so yeah, well yeah right <laughs> yeah no during the during the the shinny it was yeah, it was fine we we got you know, stuck into things and all that sort of stuff but oh, afterwards it was not being pleasant and that was uh, what four days ago so um yeah I won't I won't be attempting that for a long time I don't think when you get to my Twitter. age that's how you <laughs> That's how you wake up every day. <laughs> I can't. I can't wait, especially if you played played hockey another couple of times. Yeah, it wouldn't uh, wouldn't go well. So, a couple of things to mention, which I now have uh, realised are written on my phone, but I did make some notes, but I'm not sure I can read these. Oh yeah, I'm going to be in Melbourne in a few weeks on the 13th. Actually, on the 14th and 15th of October, there's a bit of a like a small gun show in Melbourne. It's Arms and Military Affair. So I'm going over for that with Projectile Warehouse. But on the Friday night, I figured I'm probably going to end up somewhere having a beer. So we may as well end up with a few other shooters having a beer in the same place. So on the Friday night, which is Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. spooky, uh, of October, uh, in Melbourne at the... Um, I should I should actually bring all the details up. I'll do that. What, so you don't send people to some pub in Sydney or something? <laughs> no, I won't mention the ones Sean told me about. <laughs> I won't go there. So it'll be at the Terminus Hotel in Fitzroy's North, Fitzroy North, uh, which is apparently a really nice pub, and they're doing twenty percent off drinks, so it should be a good night. Mm. Uh, be kicking around there from probably about six or seven o'clock onwards. Bunch of shooters. So if you guys are listening and want to come down and say good day and grab a beer and chat, talk talk about guns and long range and all that sort of gear, I will be there with a few others, and um, we will be doing exactly that, plus cheaper drinks and fifteen dollar uh, what we call palmies. They call palmas, but anyway, che- cheaper food. And they're doing some deals. Massive thanks to a Dave from. Beretta, who has hooked that all up for us for that particular night. So that's uh, that should be good. We'll make sure we share that event uh, as well. It's on Facebook if you're looking for details. But at the Terminus Hotel in Fitzroy's North on the 13th of October, 2017, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Be there. Be there. Or be square. <laughs> yeah. Or don't go. That's fine as well. Or don't That'd go either. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Whatever. No, they're a good night, the catch-ups. Mm. So yeah, we night. had we had that one in um, in Brizzy when we were up there actually, and we had about thirty people, and uh, certainly I know I enjoyed it. We certainly had a good time, and uh, I know some guys continued to enjoy their night. Put it that way. We'll probably leave it there. Mm. What happens at catch up stays at catch up. Good to a uh, uh, couple of guys on Facebook are saying they're going to be or they're hoping to be at the uh, at the catch up, which would be wonderful. So we probably babbled on about that enough. Greg sends his apologies. No, he doesn't. But he did send us a message to say we need to talk about something, the latest Kestrel update. Yeah, I think it was in regards to the, was it the Steiner binoculars? Range, uh, range binoculars? Finder. Yeah. yeah. The, the, they work now, the new Kestrel, I guess the 5700. Yeah. yeah, Elite. Firmware upgrade now will work with the Steiner range finding binos, which I don't have a model number for. Greg didn't provide all this. I mean, all the money in the world and can't give us a model number. <laughs> but, you know, I, I believe he's away because he's negotiating takeover deals of Ruger or Savage or someone. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I don't, don't keep up with it anymore. Cool. Uh, what else we got to – you guys got any other mentions to, to make? No. Probably should have thought about it more before we started <laughs> recording, but no. No, no. minor details. Uh, anyone on um, 
anyone on Facebook who's got something to mention, uh, please do do a shout out if we can. Uh, Andrew, you've been told to speak up a little bit. Dan is complaining. Uh, hey, about, Dan. About that on Facebook. But then again, this is a podcast and you'll be able to catch up with it all on the podcast when you listen to it, Dan, because Dan was having problems with his phone not working and I said, all right, no problems. Hasn't worked for three months. Grab it out. Let's have a little look. Dan was on last week's episode, by the way. And he pulled it out, his phone, I should clarify, Mm -hmm. pulled the phone out and he went to the link and it worked perfectly. So I don't know what the guy's on. Who knows? Uh, Speaking of Dan, though, that's Dan who's involved with Impact Dynamics with me as well. We have been working on some videos recently. Um, That's probably what I've been spending my time doing. And they should be coming out soon. I'll use the ambiguous soon rather than giving a date. Uh, but there should be a bunch of videos, uh, probably initially, probably every every week, there'll be a video out. Um, you guys have seen a couple of them. Yeah, so they were good. Good, good, fun videos. Thanks, and, uh, I'll pay for that. A little Cheers. bit of uh, informative <laughs> yeah, they're, they're uh, gear. Really good. Yeah, no, five bucks coming to you, <laughs> Andrew. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> no, but, but, you know, informative and short and to the point. Yeah, yeah short. Not, not uh, dragging out. So. Mm. Yeah, so we got a few of those. We're trying to build a bit of a collection before we start releasing them so we can sort of continue them on every week, uh, which will be good. Dan's uh, said that he struggles with hearing because of muzzle brake ears. Yeah, right. Dan, I don't think your ears look like muzzle brakes, but, you know, whatever, mate, that's fine. Speaking of muzzle brakes, I've got a couple of guns in front of me. I've got the the ticker, TAC A1. um, Is that? No, it's a T3X TAC A1, Mm. I think, if I get the name correct. And then the Ruger Precision Rifle also, so guys, actually, you guys have probably all spent time with the Ruger. Let's mm-hmm. pass that ticker around, have a little bit of a look. Now, full disclosure as well, um, the Ruger is mine. Uh, paid for it uh, probably a year ago, just when they came out, and um, have been using it for a reasonably extensive amount of time. Um, oh, we probably talked about it a fair bit on the podcast when we did. Um, I don't shoot it a lot myself, um, but I did for a little while there and, and got fairly familiar with it and the ticker has been sent to us by uh, Beretta who are um, sort of represent ticker here in Australia and we have it on loan okay so we haven't been given a gun we've just got a gun to use for a little while um, and they actually oh there's some rings and scopes anyway I've got we've got them without scopes on either of them and Andrew's just having a bit of a play Andrew what's your your first impressions there pretty good uh, it seems pretty well made like yeah, you know, it just sort of looks quality. Yeah, you know, it feels solid. It doesn't feel rattly at all. Mm. I mean, it's a ticker, and and you would expect it to be fairly, uh, fairly solid, fairly good. Um, it's funny because we, we're organising videos to, to to do, particularly while we've got both guns to film a bit of both. Mm. Um, to be fair, I'm probably not even going to film shooting them because they they I, this the, the Ruger does shoot really really well, but most of the Rugers I've seen does do shoot really well. I've seen very few tickers that don't shoot well. Um, yeah, potentially that can get the performance out. I think that that it would become a very mute point very quickly because you spend a little bit of time in low development, you get either one of these shooting well under half MOA. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. I know this one does. I know the Ruger does. Um, but that ticker, I suspect, if you spent time in low development, you wouldn't. Yeah, you you would you would not see a significant accuracy difference between the two. Now, maybe more robust across different types of ammo and stuff, but um, more about the function, the feel, how they work, how they cycle, all that sort of year is what I'd be really interested to see mm. the difference between these. 
look, without having a look at the Ruga closely, I would imagine the Teak is probably, you know, maybe slightly better finished. Um, I, I'd think so. And and look, my, my first impressions certainly are. Um, it is also the more expensive of the two. So yeah, you'd get expect what you pay it to for, be. I guess. For sure. For sure. I mean, I guess, you know, you can upgrade things like triggers and that sort of thing on both of them. Um, yep, there as are. They, s- as they come out of the factory, though, the, the Teak has probably got the better trigger, I would have thought. Try it out, mate. Try it out. Ne- neither have been modified uh, at all. So clear the gun, try it out, all that sort of gear. I'll get this one prepped for you as well. Live on-air uh, trigger testing. All right, gun's clear. Let's make it sound cool. Love that sound. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Seems good. Yep. All right. Two stage. Chuck the Ruger on there. Galen, grab a go oh, that ticker. You've got a Ruger. And, and, I do. And so you're very familiar with, with them. Um, very interested to see your thoughts on that ticker yeah. uh, initially. Did you, uh, has, has anything been I've done to done that trigger? nothing to that okay. trigger at all. Yeah. That's actually pretty surprisingly good. Yeah, okay. Okay, no, that that is as it has come out. I've not, I've not touched it, uh, not replaced it, of course. Um, but yeah, not not done anything to it. The only modifications on this, and this is a generation one Ruger, um, so it didn't come with a muzzle brake. So that's a little bastard sitting on the end there. Those who are watching on Facebook, and uh, the what else have I done to it? I'll put a piece of Velcro on there for a two round holder. It's a massive upgrade, and also a sticker on that side. So you know. It's, um, Double the value. Yeah, it's pretty much gone up significantly. Aside from that, um, it will be very interesting to get these uh, side by side. Um, Rusty, I think the, um, I mean, I, I sh- as you know, I've got the the Series Two Ruger mm-hmm. rifle and shot yep. it fairly extensively. And um, I agree with Andrew. I, I think the tick has finished off significantly better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in my mind, and I think the the stock, the uh, cheek adjustment on the stock is a lot more user friendly. On yeah, fair the point. This is a little clunky. It's on this clunky, one. and I've actually cut my fingers trying to work around that. Yeah, on, right. On my Ruger. You shouldn't be holding so, a knife while you. Yeah, while well, you're I was holding my Bowie knife. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I I think the tick has actually finished off quite a lot better. Yep. To be honest, I mean, um, you would expect that. Yeah, well, it's about a thousand dollars, $900 more, I think. Look, it, it is uh, in market price, but th- th- what it probably doesn't represent is that it comes with. Um, muzzle brake? No, no the, the, Ruger, the Series 2 comes Series with. Series 2 comes with a muzzle brake. It comes with a case and comes with a bipod. Now. That I'll, pistol grip's much better on that ticker. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, it's a little bit fatter, a little bit. And that's worth some money. Let's um, we'll chuck that over, mate. We'll throw we'll throw that um, that pistol grip up there on on YouTube and not YouTube, Facebook. I'm getting that. I'm going well tonight here. It's got a really good, so, really good positive feel. Yeah, just to, do you want to explain that for for those listeners on the podcast who don't get the chance to see it? It's it's a lot wider. It's a lot wider. It's uh, it's actually a little bit more sort of rubberized mm-hmm. um, yep. than the uh, than the Ruger. I tend not to put my whole hand on the grip when I'm shooting long range anyway. Sure. Um, so probably not a major a major concern. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just looking at it now. Is it is it raked backwards a little bit less than the Ruger possibly? It does look a little bit more You know, maybe a, a, allowing for a different um, sort of wrist angle. Yeah, it's, it's probably a little bit more vertical, just yeah. a touch. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if we can... Andrew, can you hold the front of that somehow? 
and whether we can do the same on that one and and maybe stack the Ruger above it. I don't know if you can see that on the mm. on the camera. Yeah, so the Ruger looks a bit more sort of like an M sixteen yeah. style grip. Yep. I mean, we, look. Which one do you want to hold on to, Andrew? Take that one. Cool. Not oh. permanently, just for the time oh. being. <laughs> take it home for a while. <laughs> should, should clarify that. Yeah, I reckon I'd take. That I mean, home. look, I I would. I don't know actually. You talking about Andrew or the gun? Uh, both. Sorry, <laughs> both. Both. <laughs> I know he's taken. You know, married uh, to a woman. Just yeah. It out there right. Now. Okay. <laughs> um. I don't know, but I presume the Ruger is uh, interchangeable with any AR-15 hand grip. I'm not sure about the Tiger, I, though. I, I, I believe I, you're right I on both, actually, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, they're both, um, they're both interchangeable. As far as we can tell, they look the, the, they look that way, that any any AR-15 style grip and stock uh, should be, you know, replaceable for it. So, mm. look, it's, you know, it's not the end of the world what they come with, but they come with something. So, mm. yeah, may as well be a bit nicer. Mm. One, I guess, or depend on how you look at it, point um, is the magazine availability or adaptability. Yeah, and that is that is a fair point because the, uh, the um, Ruger takes pretty much any magazine you can fit in it and probably takes them upside down as well. It's a very versatile magazine. Mm. Well, don't put your magazine upside down, by the way. Mm. Um, whereas the Tigger takes the TRG-style mags. Uh, it does come with two mags in the, in the pack, uh, but they are... Generally, a bit more expensive. I think I don't have a price f- for them, but I believe they're more expensive. Yeah, I think you know that's obviously they've they've done to you know increase the sales of their own magazines. But uh, the AI compatibility, I think, is a big one. Mm. I mean, obviously, the Ruger is compatible with the P mags as well. So I do like the mag release probably a little bit more on the ticker. It's a uh, it's not quite as long, but it's a, it's a wider option. So if you're going to th- extend your finger forward and push forward on the release, it's easier to grab from either side. Not that we necessarily like to cater to left-handers, but it is more probably favourable for that. But also, as a right hand, it's probably closer to the, not quite as wide, but closer to the surgeon-style bottom metal there rather than sort of the straight one. Um, the, but I, I, Sorry, go on. I was going to say, the, the, the ticker... Uh, the ticker also has that full-length pick rail as well, which doesn't come on the yeah on the Gen en- 2 on the Ruger. Enhanced or the Gen Two Ruger, yep. um, so that you can you know you can fit a, a wider variety of scopes. My scope wouldn't fit on on that Ruger, yeah, uh, because of that pick rail. <coughs> yep, and that's a fair point. And, and obviously, going with the two different standards, that's going with a M lock, and this is going with a key mod. Um, you can debate all night about mm. those two, and and. I don't necessarily know who would win if anyone would. Um, probably just end in either arguments or, uh, you know, plenty of booze once the guns were away. Um, I do find that forend uh, a lot more stable than this one, but uh, that was a that was a uh, problem with the first generations of the Rugers that they did uh, they did address in the second one. I think the mm. second forend is uh, is a lot more mm. uh, a lot stronger than the first, or a lot more consistent. So. Yeah, but um, I think I think that's probably what we'd spend our time looking at is going, oh, this is a little bit better and this is a little bit nicer or this is a bit different or whatever it is, and that, that could honestly go either way on a number of topics. I don't necessarily – I mean, you cycled the bolts before you pulled the triggers before. They were pretty reasonable both ways. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the Tika here is – I like two-stage triggers. Yep. Uh, um, what's that smile for? My experience in Darwin shooting a two-stage trigger, <laughs> I was not a big fan of two-stage triggers. Mm. Was it Butters' rifle? It was, yeah. yep. 
That's because it's an AI. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, butters. I think we'll let that one through to the keeper. Unless you want to explain on that. No, it's just I don't like AIs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think two-stage triggers are not, not everybody's cup of tea. Um, I didn't I – didn't, look, I didn't mind it. I probably said this on the episode now we're going over old ground, but I, I didn't mind it. I just wasn't used to it, wasn't familiar or comfortable yeah. with it. I think that showed on the Sunday, though. Um, you actually shot a lot better on the Sunday. Um, I think being used to that trigger, you know, a little bit more. Yeah, could be. Maybe, yep. maybe, yeah. maybe I opened you both eyes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't think I necessarily shot <laughs> shot better on the Sunday. But anyway, um, yeah, could could have been. Certainly mm. getting more mm. comfortable with it. Uh, mm. But and that will be the same. I'm going to get a chance to put a few rounds through this mm. ticker, so I'll get the same uh, the I, same joy. I think you'd probably between these two rifles here, you would probably be hard pressed to find significant difference in performance. I think it's probably down to feel. Yeah. Person who feel, do, do, do you agree? Or? Well, it would be interesting if you know if you were to run run a few different PRS-type stages, you know, the identical stages with both guns and just see, mm. A, if there's time difference or accuracy difference and, and B, just you know, how you would rate the feel. You know. Yeah. Is one significantly better than the other? Perhaps, but... Yeah, not necessarily. Fair point. Um, I think that the, I think uh, we probably said a couple of times, and you guys observed it as well, is that the the ticker is probably finished nicer, generally speaking. So a lot of the little the little elements of it will will sort of stack up in that favour, and uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's probably the end of my point. Um, a lot of those little things will stack up in the favour. Mm. Whereas, uh, you know, what's more comfortable, where it fits, like what you're talking about, is is going to come down to a bit of personal preference between the two. But, mm. you know, at the end of the day, it's pretty easy to see the tick is a nicer finished gun. doesn't necessarily would later perform. But one thing I do like about it, though, particularly here in Australia, is that it comes with an option. This one doesn't, but it comes with the option of a fixed stock, which if you are travelling around shooting comps interstate or you live in a state that we're not in, uh, that would be pretty paramount. And I know a number of the states at the Ruger, you know, this one is, is specifically not allowed mm. and and by name. So, yeah, you know, it's not a matter of changing the stock over. Um, still, unfortunately, because of the, the facts of what it is, it, it wouldn't be allowed in that state. And, and, and the ticker gets around that, obviously, because it's available in two different versions. So it's, uh, it's much more, I guess, uh, friendly to, to some of our laws here. So the other thing that came with the uh, the ticker that was sent over by Beretta was a set of Burris XTR signature rings. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen these ones or are familiar with them at all. These are the ones that have the adjustable MOA sleeves. I don't know what the word is. Um, with customizable cant. Don't say that too fast. And what they basically are, they're a big set of nice, chunky, fat rings that have the option in there, sort of like the Seiko OptiLocks. You've got like a plastic uh, rim inside and it's interchangeable and you put in a sleeve that is a like plus 10, 10 MOA on the bottom and then minus 10 MOA on the top and that will shift the angle of the scope down and you obviously will put some angle at the front and angle at the back and add it together and that's how much shift you've got available to you in your scope 
Obviously, the tickers, as far as I'm aware, are a neutral base. There are there no MOA, there's no canting them. So they make up for it with these. And the, the rings are meant to have between 5 and 40 MOA adjustment internally. So buy those little sleeves. So I've not used them yet. I've not even got them out of the packet yet. They're going to get mounted up probably tomorrow. Just dropped one. Great. Luckily enough, it hit carpet. And the... I'm, I'm I'm very interested to see how they go, because if they work well, they would be intriguing to see our op- you know your options of adjusting your can to really um, allow to get the most out of your scope and your rifle combination. Because you know I, I've been in the position where you know you, you wish you had more elevation, you've got it, but you just can't obtain it because your you, your adjustment on your base or your rings are wrong. And there have been the other situation, I'm sure, Andrew, specifically you, would have been where you can't get down to like 100 metre zero because you've run out of adjustment. Um, these may allow you to sort of, you know, wipe off five or add it on five or add on ten or whatever it is that you needed to do. Have you seen these at all? Have you guys played with them at all? I haven't, but, I mean, the concept, I guess, is not real new. No. I mean, I presumably sure. those inserts sort of a self-aligning yes. in the ring. They don't, yep. uh, they're not sort of unduly stressing the scope tube, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if you were to, you know, change nothing else. You know, maybe zero the rifle, mm. take them in and out. Yep. Talk it back down and see where it goes. What kind of difference you're going to have? But mm. yeah, it would be interesting to see. I mean, perhaps like a combination with a tall target test uh, would be an interesting to see how much. Yeah, you know, where where your zero points were and how much you could actually dial up or, mm. or down or something. So perhaps I'll put that on the cards to uh, to be one of the the things that we run with them because um, that would be interesting to see. It's an interesting concept. I certainly have seen seen similar things attempted and not necessarily pulled off. Although mm. you know they look like they're a good quality ring. They, they do. They're they, big and chunky. That's for sure. Mm, they seem to be quite a a reasonable thing. And I have seen others use them. And, and talk highly of them so I guess we'll give them a go so guys if you are listening um, or watching uh, we would love to hear from you if you have used these uh, are they 30 or 34 or these are 34 yep, yep these are 34 they, they they came with a um, a Steiner uh, okay. as well to, to go which will sit on top of that uh, ticker shortly and uh, we'll try out the whole sort of the whole Beretta package I guess Um and see how it all goes, but yeah, if if guys, if you had experience with these rings, I'm I'm really interested to find out um, how they went for you. And I, I don't think they'd have any problems locking down. Well, they look pretty solid, but the um you know the, the idea of being able to put a lot more elevation internally into your scopes at that point rather than the base, um, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I I've got no doubt it could work well, but I'd be interested to see how it actually sort of comes together. Mm. Good. Excellent. All right. Well, we have a question from a listener to throw to you guys. So let me turn around and get on the computer carefully without breaking too much. So this question comes in from Evan, and he says that he likes the podcast. Very nice of you, Evan. Thank you very much. Um, And he listened to the reloading podcasts that we did the last few. And recall hearing that we use stainless steel tumbling media to clean, which I know Andrew, you do, Galen, you are. Um, I, I, when I clean my own brass, no, I don't. If I send it off, uh, yes, it gets done. 
I was wondering if any of you have experience with the necks being too clean with that process, uh, i.e. negatively affecting SD and ES, which is standard deviation extreme spread, and more difficulty seeding a bullet. Do you, it's a supplementary question, do you seat the bullet with any kind of lube in the neck? Thanks, Evan. Andrew, I'm going to ask you that one first. Okay, well, obviously, yeah, I do use the stainless tumbling. Um, I haven't found any issues with it. I mean, I, I also anneal as well, which you know, we'll touch on as well, I guess, in mm -hmm. the, the reason and the effect. But in regards to having a neck that's too clean, no, I haven't noticed the difference. I sort of notice that you know if I do my you know I'm running all the same brass obviously and do the brass prep all consistently I haven't noticed a a variation in the feel for the neck tension when seating again I haven't actually got any kind of measurement on that which is something I'd like to do but um I yeah personally would say no no I did just briefly read an article just within the last week on accurate shooter on the daily bulletin mm-hmm where uh, I think it was we were discussing earlier, Galen, about the annealing made perfect, the New Zealand company. Yes, yep. They had done a heap of testing, and I think there was some mention made of, well, they in their experience or their findings, were that some carbon in the necks can be beneficial to right. consistency. I didn't read the article fully, so I can't really comment further than that. I, I did think about reading that article. That's mm, as far as I got I, at the time. I, sort of started reading it that's how far i got <laughs> further than me stupid yeah. busy editing videos that's that's why yeah but so in that regards there, there may well be some relevance there or some sort of effect there sure yep not that i've personally noticed though okay um definitely noticed some neck like some war not neck in particular but brass hardening work hardening okay mm -hmm. um but again annealing for me is taking care of that but Possibly an issue for someone who doesn't anneal. Yeah, so I've I um I've heard the work I read a few weeks ago about work hardening from stainless steel uh, cleaning. I read about it. Yep, I have not got any examples to to speak of to say oh my SD changed or my ES you know was was not as good as it used to be. So I have not got any data to back up any any thoughts uh, and. I, to be honest, I haven't got a lot of thoughts about it, apart from the fact that, yeah, it probably happens, but do go through that annealing process as well. So perhaps that helps. Look, I, I would think that, I mean, I anneal, generally speaking, every, you know, after every firing or before every firing, mm -hmm. um, just for the consistency. As long as you don't do it during, you should be okay. Oh, I guess it sort of does. That's getting get work done. hardened. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, but I mean, that's more for consistency yep. rather than, um, you know, longevity of brass. It's more to have the same hardness in the neck area mm. of the case so hopefully the same neck tension hopefully reduce the standard deviation sure but um i can't remember where i was going with that <laughs> yeah but i mean if you Good. were to if you were to be uh annealing once every four or five shots but yep. you were stainless tumbling between firings you could well notice a, a difference in your standard deviation and you know velocity variations mm due to that hardening effect I, how much effect it has i'm not sure but it, yeah. i imagine it would definitely have an effect I, again i haven't yet conducted you know that sort particular of test, test yeah it's one that would be interesting to do and do it with a rifle that you know 
you know is accurate and you know can be loaded with with good standard deviations and so on and so forth so absolutely galen you got any comments on that i've just started using the stainless tumbler yeah um a rebel 17 which i'm I'm loving it's it's fantastic Mm, sure um so I guess from my perspective, you know, Andrew's probably got more of a technical sort of knowledge of it. But from my perspective and for the shooting I do, I think any change in the standard deviation, for instance, would be negligible as a result downrange yep. for what I'm doing. So for me, I, I, I probably wouldn't, it wouldn't be something I would test, I don't think, provided I can hit you know, gongs in a in a in a competition or, or, yeah, or sure. scenario. You know, I mean, and it really comes down, I think, to are you shooting for precision or are you shooting for accuracy? Two different yep. things altogether. Um, if you're shooting for for uh, for precision, then yeah, maybe that's something that you'd you'd want to test. Sure. Yep. But for me and 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 you know, for the the competitions I shoot and, and, and whatever, on target. it's just get rounds on target quickly transition to the next one and do the same yeah um so whether there's a marginal difference would probably make very little difference to me um i, I don't know from a technical yeah. viewpoint though uh, yeah again I, I mean the prs type events generally aren't you know based on the, the fine you know really fine accuracy obviously the more accurate it is the better but you know the target sizes are not that tiny generally speaking that you know those tiny, tiny variations. And if you group, and if you group at one inch, you don't get more points, as long as the the rounds are on target. Yeah, true. But I mean, look, it, if it was the difference between depends on the stage. Well, <laughs> the, the, you're is, right. The general, the general, ge- generally, yeah, we're not based generally. on group sizing. We're we're based yeah. on impacts. That's it. Yeah, mostly. I mean, look, if you if you could could have have a load where one load was five feet a second standard deviation, now there was fifteen. I take the five every day of the week. Oh, yeah, yeah. agreed, agreed. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, but again, without having specifically tested that variable, it's it's certainly interesting. I would like to test it mm. one, one day when Maybe, my children uh, leave home. I might actually get time <laughs> to do it. What was it? Uh, was it Evan that asked that question? Evan, it was Evan. Yep. yep. Maybe Evan could, you know, perform that test. And uh, <laughs> Garland, second show in, and, and Garland's uh, given away homework. Or it didn't and, take uh, you long. your homework, Evan. <laughs> Thanks for your question, but uh, yeah, come back to us with the results. yourself. Yeah. And uh, um, yeah, I'd be keen to hear the difference. But uh, no, look, uh, look, I think it's, uh, I think you know, you're you're right, Andrew. Um, definitely be something to to to, to find the results from. Um, you know, and to see what the difference was, if any. Hmm. Absolutely, but just in—I don't think we touched on one aspect of his question. Are they are lubing bullets? Yeah, or lubing the neck? I, no, I don't do that. Um, it's a no from me. Yeah, I mean, look—the only time I guess I would would have heard of people doing that would be maybe with a coated projectile, which I guess is effectively doing the same thing. It's putting the lube on the projectile rather yeah, true. than the neck. Yep. Um, but yeah, other than that, I have know. heard of would, it. Would, would there be a? Would there be an advantage? To doing, I mean, I'd I, look. I don't. I don't. I think can't. So necessarily. I can't see like, an advantage to it. it. It would definitely, or could definitely, affect the neck tension, which uh, would then affect your your velocity. I would imagine. Hmm. But if everything's consistent, uh, you know, if you've got a perfectly clean, you know, shiny brass inside and out, you know, insides. Of, well, I guess where it matters, but if that was perfect and the projectile was perfect, and everything was like that consistently, I, I can't see how there would be any less consistent. 
than using some sort of a lubricant. I guess mm. you don't. What you don't have is the, you know the potential to to foul the powder or have any. You know, if you've got lubricant that may work its way in there. So. If if anybody does lube, um, lube the necks or lube the bullet while seeding, let us know. Let us know what how you go about doing it, what you use, and and also why you take that step because it it was not something I had done. I had heard of someone or some people doing it. I couldn't tell you who. Just you know, you hear the stories. Uh, but I'd, I'd never sort of explored down that path. So if, if someone does do it, we'd love to hear from you because we I don't think any of us sort of really, um, well, none of us do it. And perhaps, you know, there's some, there's some reasonings out there that we haven't thought of. Yeah, look, I mean, one possible thing that comes to mind, and again, I haven't actually read that article um, by mm-hmm. the annealing made perfect guys, but if there was you know, carbon inside the neck, you know, a small amount of it, obviously they were talking about a possible benefit of having that. Um, we we have touched on this before a little bit about loading your ammo, you know, well in advance of when it's going to be shot, and how you can get a, I, I guess, a chemical bond between the projectile and the and the brass. Yep. That would I imagine be less likely to happen if you've got something else in there between the two of them, like so a very fine film of carbon, effectively. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Again. And Andrew, question: um, If I did lube the case the neck before i put the projectile in and then i dropped the bullet and it landed on the end and would could the projectile um move sort of move and maybe slide back inside and affect the jump well of course i mean that mm. could happen regardless yeah i mean um, but more easily maybe with the lube there well it depends i mean it you lubing it would then i guess presume that there's going to be less you know friction holding it in there so possibly, but I mean, if I dropped a round of ammunition, it landed point down on the projectile. Wouldn't I'd probably discard anyway. that anyway, mm. or use it for fire forming or whatever it might be. But yeah, it's a possibility. Personally, I, I would I can't see myself ever using a lube in that seating process. I have tried it once, and none of the powder went into the. Well, it just got all stuck around on the lube. Well, that's the thing. If you're using and that like was a, annoying. If you're using yeah. a wet kind of lube, but yeah. I mean, if you're using like graphite or molly yeah, powder true. or something like yeah. that, maybe not the issue, but... Um, hmm. I've used graphite in powder throwers to make them run smoother, and it, there was a bit of a process to make that work, but it, it worked really well, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, that's gone back a while. Cool. All right, well, Evan, hopefully we've either... Uh, Answered or sidestepped your answer? Uh, the, the, sorry, your question. Um, for those guys on Facebook, I, I'm not sure all the questions are coming through. <laughs> it's um, we have, I've just reloaded it and it's thrown up a bunch of other comments, so I'm not sure we necessarily saw them all. Uh, so apologise if we don't get to it. Um, Johnny Fat Jesus uh, has, hey, of Johnny. course, has course messaged us and has said, "Which of the ticker and the Ruger will help him he- hit the eight ball?" <laughs> Which he um, now, if you guys remember, he uh, did not hit the eight ball after succeeding really well on that particular stage. For those who don't follow the um, Practical Rifle NT Facebook page, you should. Just making that comment. But one of the things that they did on there was a live video with uh, with Fat Jesus. 
not always recommended. But this particular one, he shot um, Snoo- that same stage billiards as well and proceeded to do the exact same and missed the eight ball. So he shot all the targets, got them all perfectly, but nothing counted unless you hit the eight ball at the last shot and uh, he missed it and uh, and proceeded to repeat his performance at the big comp. So he's looking for any help he can get. Um, so whether the Ruger or the Ticker would help you hit the eight ball... Neither. Neither. Mm. Nah. You got no chance, Fatty. Sorry, mate. <laughs> you're going to have to enjoy that mug, and that's about all you're going to get. We shall move on then. Good. All right. Uh, so, I've got a question for you guys tonight, the topic for this evening. And it's going to be pretty simple, and we are probably going to drop the uh, Facebook thing off shortly. Um, the question is... Your f- well, it's not even a question. Tell us about your first gun. Now, I don't necessarily mean your first gun you bought, but I don't not mean that. I don't necessarily mean the first gun you shot, although I don't not mean that. Is this getting through? Yeah. Effectively, what I'm saying is you guys can interpret that however you like, yeah, and we sure. certainly can cover a couple, but I'm looking for first experiences, first guns, mm. first guns you did buy, first guns of a type you bought, all that sort of stuff. Galen, what, yeah, what was okay. the what, well the, the, the very first like? the very first gun um, I bought and no it wasn't a flintlock I'm not quite that old um, I bought a Ruger uh, M77 Mark II would have been around 92 1992 when they went from the M77 they upgraded they did a full rebuild I think on it um, to the uh, to the Mark II. Mm-hmm. I was in primary school then. Yeah, you're in primary school. Yeah, so I was buying guns. I man. was barely yeah. born. Yeah, I was buying guns. Yeah. So, so I bought that. It would have been... Dallin was also in primary school. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was actually married the, fin- the the year after that. So no, not quite in primary school. Wow. But, married, um, married young in primary school. So yeah, no, I bought that Illegal in... Legal back uh, then. Uh, yeah. I bought that in 243 um, yep. as, a, as a hunting rifle. It was, it was the first um, rifle that I bought. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had shot pistols for a couple of years before that, but uh, first rifle I bought, and uh, I, I don't know why, but I bought it in stainless steel with the uh, the black um, synthetic stock. With the paddle? The, the paddle boat, stock? Boat paddle. Uh, yes. Oh, all right. The paddle. And I was yeah. up the creek without the paddle on occasions, but it, look, it shot really well. It was the first... Um, Back then, I wasn't doing any long range stuff. You know, long range to me was 150 meters, mm-hmm. and um, well, it's not better, that, it's not it's much, that much different now. To better be honest, than five but, meters, yeah. for, <laughs> for Andrew's crew. But I, no, we um, we used to go go and, and pig shooting, and uh, my first pig um, that I shot was uh, was with that rifle, um, and uh, up in New, uh, New South Wales, actually, at a station there, and uh, it performed really well. The two four three as um, Bronte proved um, is an excellent caliber. He's uh, shot it successfully out to to long range, but uh, yeah, it did it did the job, and I was pretty proud of my my first rifle and and um, you know my first uh, pig kill. Took the uh, took the tusks and whatnot. So yeah, it was it was good. It was a good rifle, and I had that for about oh, probably five or six years, I think. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, no, it was a good rifle. Uh, it did really well, and I was really pleased with the decision because I wanted a rifle and a, a caliber that mm. um, that I could shoot up to pigs, but could also sort yep. of dial back and 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 shoot the smaller game. Yeah, very good, nice. And what about um, 
Oh, no, we'll go around. Andrew, you're, you're, are we talking first gun you bought? Mm. We'll go first gun you bought then. Okay, I guess the first one I bought would have been shortly after I joined the Army. So I was just 18. Um, I ordered a custom-built 6mm 284. Yep. Uh, built by John Giles up in Queensland. I think he's still there. Um, Beautiful, as far as I know. Yeah, on a, on a Stolly action with a Macmillan stock and Madco barrel. Nice. Um, it was ridiculously heavy. I think it weighed about 18 pounds. Yeah. Obviously single shot. In a very really good paddle stock? Uh, no. Oh. No. It, Mr. Mr. Chance there, Andrew. It, it, was a, it was a Macmillan McHale, actually, I remember. Oh, it was, right. Eh? Um, remember the, the stock? And for some reason, I I was either talked into it or ended up with a, with a two-ounce uh, dual trigger in it. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I remember... One of the first times I took it out on game was uh, spotlighting, uh, and I mm-hmm. specifically mentioned to the driver of the vehicle that he would need to stop uh, in order to <laughs> shoot the foxes, mm-hmm. and then he proceeded to chase the foxes until they literally ran out of puff and just lay down on the ground. So you continued your five meter <laughs> six range, six, six meters. <laughs> but no, no, that that gun was great, and I mean, it was probably a lot more than I could ever utilise back then. And, sure. Um, you know, I remember doing a little bit of load development, you know, with the 105 Burgers and 107 Sierras. And I still remember, you know, I shot my first Crow from 500 metres with that gun and I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, nice. Um, but yeah, it was one I could probably regret selling, actually. But yeah, probably... I, I came across that gun a few yeah. years ago. and came, came through the dealer I was working for and uh, I went, hang on. That's, uh, this rings a bell. Yeah, it's sort of been around a bit, I think, but, I mean, it's, who knows how many barrels it's had now, but it was certainly, a, you know, good calibre and, and good gun, and I just remember it shot really, really well. How, uh, how long did you have that one? Ooh, I reckon, I reckon I only sold that, oh, it would have been 2005, 2006, something like that, so I might have had it for seven or eight years. So, yeah, like mm. that, was, that was my first gun, and, I think how many I've had since fifty or sixty or something, but um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of the ones that I sort of regret selling. You know, would have yeah, been, okay. I'd, I'd sort of had my time again, I would have kept it. I think, mm. um, you know, just superbly accurate and you know, it shot well. You know, shot very flat. You know, it's fairly hot cartridge for the day. I guess it still is. Yeah, so. yeah, nothing wrong with that. Mm. Yeah, nice. My mm. first uh, my first gun that I bought. Was a Beretta 686C uh, shotgun. Yep, really relevant to our conversations here. <laughs> Moving right along. So you could shoot that all the way out to five meters. Uh, no, like no, Andrew. I, I, I smashed him. I got seven. <laughs> I got seven. Yeah, look at me go. Um, that was the first. That was the first gun I bought. But I, uh, from for many years prior to that, I, I would shoot my dad's guns, mm. um, and he would have. A, he had a 22 Bakel. Uh, Russian, who probably probably pronounced that wrong, probably need to be much more angry to pronounce that right. Um, and a side by side Brazilian shotgun, um, not any of the brands. It's sort of I know, um, Boydo or such, um, something else. Looked fancy, wasn't. And a twenty two Hornet. Now I forget the brand of that, but it was a a, um, a break open gun. 
we shot them for for many years again you know 150 was a was a long way mm. um for the uh for the hornet uh, back then but you know certainly sort of did what we could with them and yeah but that, they were probably the first guns i used on a regular basis what about you guys? Did you did you have guns that you had access to prior to buying your own, or would you? No, pr- pr- for me, prior to shooting pistols from around, I don't know, probably eighty nine or ninety. Um, yeah, I I never picked up a firearm or whatever in the in the, in the my life basically. So um, <laughs> yeah, for me, it was it was the first you know for the first rifle and and, and no access to, to to firearms prior. Yeah, like I, I mean, I um, I didn't come from a shooting family. Like no one in in my family were, were shooters. Like, um, so I still do remember the first firearm I shot of any kind. What, what was that? It was an air rifle at a school fair. No, I remember uh, remember shooting this thing. I would have been probably seven or thereabouts. And I'm left eye dominant, but right handed. I like I like how you haven't told Badco that. You've kept that one from him. He knows now. <laughs> no, he doesn't. no, he doesn't listen. He'll pay somebody to listen. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so like back when, when I was that age, you know, shouldering the rifle with the right hand and trying to look through it with your left eye just wasn't working. So nah. I came up with the concept of I'll, I'll go straight down the middle and I basically held the butt in the middle of my face um, <laughs> and against my teeth and... I'd nearly knock my teeth out. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so that was a bit of a learning curve, but I don't think I hit anything, but yeah, that was my very first experience and that hmm. I sort of hooked after that, I think. Maybe not on shooting it that way, but yeah. <laughs> they do have that, that way of getting the hooks in you, don't they, the firearms, hmm. Hmm. generally? What um what was your first shooting experience? doesn't matter, rifle or not, Carlin. What, what was the first chance you got to shoot a gun? Um, well, I mean, you know, everyone went down to the, the Adelaide show and tried to shoot the star out with the, uh, whatever that was, little Air BB rifle. gun yep. or whatever. Um, but yeah, pistols was my first sort of real shooting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a Beretta, a 92F 9mm, which, yep. uh, which I shot for a couple of years. And, uh, when I realised how many rounds of ammo I was going through on a weekly basis, <laughs> I decided it might be a good idea to get into a bolt-action rifle. Yeah, right. So I started, and well, I, I think it, that probably coincided with me, you know, sort of having some some friends that were were already hunters. Sure, yeah. Access to properties. Uh, I think some of the properties that you've actually you know, recently shot on yourself in the last year or so, um, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm going hunting and, and my pistol wasn't going to work for me, so... Yeah, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, and, and it sort of transitioned pretty quickly and I got out of pistols and, as you know, just sort of now starting to get back, back in the pistols a little bit as, as well, but, hmm. um, yeah, I, you know, my, I remember my mum saying as I was a kid, you know, there's three things I can't have, yep. guns, motorbikes and tattoos and... Uh, You've got I've, them all? Got them all. So. <laughs> you got tattooed while riding a motorbike of a gun. Oh, yeah, 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 correct. Exactly right. So yeah, so yeah, look, sweet. it just gets under your, it just gets under your skin, I think, and it's a great sport. So it is funny how people sort of get attracted to it. I mean, I, I still, I don't recall it because I was too young, but I have it relayed to me that when I was very young, my parents had decided that there wasn't going to be any toy guns or, or whatnot in the house and. 
they gave that idea up pretty quick when I started like chewing my toast into the shape of guns and, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, this guy's a lost cause. Yeah, I, I, you, you hear that a lot and uh, and yeah, my wife worked in childcare as you guys know and, and certainly a number of parents, particularly in this day and age, say, oh no, we're not going to have any guns in the house or this or that. They will get a stick, they will get something, they will make make it happen and it, it just, it seems to be that there's an attraction there but of course, you know, you know, those of us with kids, you know, we're, we're pretty sort of, we want to make sure that they grow up understanding uh, understanding that, you know, what a gun is and how to deal with it safety, safely because I think a familiarity with them is much better in, in a safe and controlled environment and my daughter knows that if uh, she was to encounter a gun, uh, the first thing she would do is run and tell me or uh, my dad, uh, her pa, uh, or... She would tell if neither of us are available. She'd tell an adult. She, you know, ask her, "Would you touch it?" No, no, no definitely not. I'd go and tell someone. And, and so you, you know, train them to to understand um, familiarity. She's you know too young to know much more than that at this stage. But you know, she's aware of what to do if she was to uncover one somewhere and somehow. Um, I think that's really important, Rusty. I mean, I'm going through a process at the moment of, um, you know, making sure that my wife knows how to use every single type of firearm that I've got in my sure. gun safe, yep. including the pistols. Um, and uh, I personally think that's really important. Not that the safe is ever opened when I'm not no, there. No, or, not for that reason, but, no. Yeah. But I just think, you know, the guns are there yep. and I need her to know how to use all of them. She can strip my pistol and and clean it and put it back together and utilise it. So I, I see where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My pistol. No, but, <clears throat> but you know, I, I just think it's really important. And if I had, I mean, I don't have kids. Um, you know, it's just a, a, the thing. Uh, but if I if I had children, they would be and like I know Andrew is doing with his with his lads. Yeah. Um, giving them that understanding, you know, at a at a at a young age, at a basic level, mm. so that when they get to, you know, the age of having guns, they already know. They're, no, they're safe with them. Safe the safe is paramount. Yeah. And and look, I you know, so I don't remember. I don't remember the first time I shot a gun. I remember some of the early times I did, um, which would have been five or six years old. Is is, is in that sort of time frame. And uh, one of the one of the very vivid memories I have is on a farm in uh, not far out of Horsham, and we were shooting a twenty two. I don't. I honestly didn't spend much time with an air rifle. It was really twenty twos is where I sort of started and. and Behind a twenty-two, and I've gone to line up on a on whatever target was can, which is you know pretty common one, and and Dad sort of gone, hang on, stop, and I've gone, okay, all right, you know what, what's going on, and he's then sort of you know sort of just said you know open the bolt, lifted up a piece of fencing wire that was directly across my muzzle that I clearly would not have seen because I was using a scope at the time. And, and yeah, lifted that sort of piece of fencing wire out and moved out of the way and said, right, now you can go. I've gone, yeah, good lesson to learn that one. And I would have, yeah, as I said, it would have been probably six at that stage. I particularly remember that one. And uh, we continued on. But, yeah, I, I remember very early days just, you know, shooting and always being looking forward to getting out on the farm and, and doing that. And we would, you know, from time to time go out and stay on friends' farms. Um that's the other, actually the other thing that I know that my experience was different to, to many others. I very rarely, if if at all, when I was young, shot open sights. 
you know, and perhaps I'm in, I'm I'm in that age group where where scopes were starting to become common place on those farm guns, we'll call it, because I know you know well you guys did you were iron sights a common thing for you when you started or I mean we're uh, all sort of similar in that age. Not not really. I mean I I recall sort of you know we moved up to the Riverland when I was eight ish. Yep. Yeah, you know, I became friends with a with a guy who, you know, his family had a farm, and I remember shooting the air rifle, and that, that had a scope on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I shot shot guns with open sights when I was young, but I guess I'd say same predominantly scopes. I mean, it's mm-hmm. interesting because I, you know, I've got three. I, I guess I can tell you now, soon to be four children. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, just well, dropping bombs. Just yeah. drop that. Oh, hello. Boom. Congratulations. Drop the mic and walk out. Congratulations. <laughs> Commiserations. Yeah. Wow. Well, but you no, I'd, I'd uh, you know, for the first two, I'd, I'd uh, you know, my, my oldest now, he's nearly eight, I'd, I'd bought uh, Lithgow number one 22s, like single shot 22s for yep. them when yep. they were born, you know, with the intention of passing them on to them. and Yeah, sure. Never got around to buying number three, who's, he's about to turn four. Yeah, four. <laughs> okay, you're on top of this. Yeah, yep. so he's about to turn four. He never got one. He's starting to pester me now. So <laughs> I've just actually ordered another two. Let's go yeah, number yeah, one, right obviously, on. for him and for Junior that's on the way. So, you know, I guess for me, you know, that was, it'd be interesting to see whether they hmm. continue with it. But Yeah, in, in the time. You know, I can I, yeah, I sort of look back and think, yeah, that would have been so awesome when I was a kid to know that there's this gun there that's for me. And, you know, as soon as I'm old enough, it's mine. Yes, um, yeah. Yeah, no, so... On that point, I've done the same thing with a couple of CZ-22s. because, um, And the reason I chose those is because CZ will proof with the year that they were manufactured on. So, of course, I've bought them from the years that they were born. And they've got the dates, well, the year, um, engraved on the side, uh, on the action and the barrel. And they are sitting still in their boxes, untouched, uh, in the safe um, for whenever the appropriate day is, 16 or 18 or whatever it is, something to look forward to. When they start dating, probably. There is a time to bring them out and that's it. <laughs> well, we'll we'll choose when that coming of age is. Uh probably well if we wait till they start dating, probably like forty or so, but anyway. <laughs> They're welcome to date my boys though. No, definitely fifty <laughs> for that. <laughs> so perhaps we haven't actually covered a lot um of the long range stuff tonight so far, but I guess um do you give us a little bit of an overview. Um, I know I've actually done this with myself and Badco, but Andrew, you weren't there, and Galen, you're here now. Um, where you went from like the, those first uh, first shooting experiences through to your first guns, through to actually getting into this long range yeah, okay. side of things. Hmm. Uh, I'll go. Yeah, far I'll go. away. Yeah. I'll go. I'll oh, far away. If um, you would, that would be great. As long as someone so, does. So, <laughs> so as you know generally happens um you know hunting properties start to disappear yep and um yeah i i I had nowhere to shoot basically you know i wasn't much of a club guy i'd let the 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 pistols go Mm -hmm. wasn't much of a club guy really and and uh so all of my guns basically sat in the safe for about five years Mm -hmm. and didn't get looked at and um uh, my my better and more wiser half had said to me, um, start shooting them and get rid of them. <laughs> and that wasn't about to happen. So I, uh, I ended up joining a, a club 
and shot some rifles there, got back into pistols there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but wasn't really happy there. I'm not a club guy. And uh, then I, I, I was down at one of the local firearms dealers and uh, ran into this curious fellow. Right. By the name of uh, Rusty. Right. Who, uh, who So what you're trying to do is blame me. I'm blaming you. I'm blaming you for all that money I've spent in the last few years. But this was a couple of years ago, as yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, and, I was there. And yeah. you were there, yeah. So I did one of your courses, actually, and uh, I think the shooting fundamentals, because after 20-odd years of shooting, I realised yeah, I realised that no one had ever really shown me the basics, the fundamentals. So I did that. Then I did one of the long-range courses, and um, from there, pretty much hooked. That was a couple of years ago now. So. Yeah, it was, man. Yeah. So I then went from there, and I, that was the uh, the the year prior to the first PRI competition. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which uh, which you suggested that I might might enter. You know, I should. I, should, I remember should mentioning you, that remember? to you yeah. when it was very yeah. early concept ideas. So never I, heard of the PRS. Yeah, never nothing. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that might be a reasonable idea, but I didn't have the right equipment. So I ended up um, working with what I had. Yeah. And and I think if I had some advice to give, or if I was asked to give some advice to someone who was looking at you know long range PRS style PRI type shooting, uh, I would I'd probably suggest you try and work with what you've got because it can be a very costly setup. Yeah. Um, and I did that. And, uh, you know, it still costs some money, but uh, I, I set up my ticker uh, T3 308 uh, with a Night Force ATAC on the top in uh, second focal plane MOA. Yep. Uh, which I still have that scope for sale at the moment. <laughs> plug it away. <laughs> has yep. been replaced. Has a little plug there. And, um, yeah, you know, I just kind of worked with that rifle and, until I thought, you know, I could, could afford better. Hmm. So sure. that, yeah. that's kind of what that's that's my long range. I, I guess you know my lead into long range shooting. Yeah. yeah, Andrew. Yeah, I guess I mean given that I sort of started at the top as far as um you know the rifle I end up you know purchasing. My interest was there, but I yeah one thing that I sort of just recalled. I, I remember flicking through a a US gun magazine of some variety i can't remember years and years before that when i was still living at home you know so early high school and i remember seeing a picture of a mcmillan long range rifle in 300 wind mag mm-hmm. and i cut the picture out and i had it on my wall that was what i aspired to get and then later on i'd variously seen an article on the remington 40 xb ks in triple two heavy barreled thing and you know, just remember seeing the groups that these things shot, and that was sort of, I guess, the the prelude to actually buying a, a rifle. So mm-hmm. those kind of things had always been there, and you know, I'd I'd branched out and have branched out since, obviously buying that first sort of long range setup. Yep. You know, I enjoy shooting pigs at you know for ten meters on the run in in the lignum sort of shooting as well. But I guess if my sort of main focus has always been that longer range stuff. Mm. So I guess I haven't really strayed away from it completely. I've gone and I've shot pistols as well and, you know, enjoy shooting pistols. I don't do it currently, but it's like, it's more, more a matter of having the time really, yeah. you know, you <laughs> yeah, just don't sure. get the time, but, uh, yep. yeah, I mean, you know, I've got a variety of different guns, but sort of the long range ones are fairly predominantly what I go back to. 
Yeah. I mean, unless I'm going on a on a trip that's going to necessitate close yeah, range, fast, fast shooting. Yeah, so mm. that's kind of where I am. Yeah, yeah, nice. And, uh, and uh, you know, as I said, I've talked about, you know, sort of my experiences and stuff. But I remember one particular story um, a number of years ago, and, and I remember buying uh, probably the first... Long range gun I ever bought was a three eight lap uh, in a Rem seven hundred. Um, Recall that. Yeah, and I, I I was working at a gun shop at the time, and I went, you know what, I'm I'm going to pick one of these up. The price was really good. I think I had a tax return come back, and there was discussion about them being uh, perhaps not no longer allowed to be registered in South Australia. So I went, you know what, I'm just I'm going to do it. I don't know how to use the gun. I don't know how to touch it or play with it or get it shooting any distance but i'm gonna buy it now i remember guys that i worked with at the time uh in the gun shop would say you know they sort of particularly behind my back would you know sort of go i oh, doesn't know what he's doing with it doesn't he? but i didn't buy it to shoot it initially i bought it because i thought well if, it, if they if they become prohibited not prohibited become unable to be registered i'll have one and then when i do get the experience and the equipment and the money to be able to drive it i might work out what i'm doing and uh i guess yeah from from there it went on and and you know it actually sat in the safe for a number of years even when i had the opportunity to start to get to know what i was doing longer range stuff um i, I went no that's that's the one i want to get to in time i'll, I'll work with you know my 22 to 50 and i'll work with the 308 and other bits and pieces on the way through and then when i when i think i'm ready i'll i'll put a scope on that and away i go so yeah, it took a it took a little while, but it was quite. I, I do particularly remember that uh, that particular gun is my first long range gun that I'd never shot for years. Um, sat in its box in the safe uh, until I thought, no, I can. I didn't want to put a cheap scope on there because I knew that you know you need to spend money on optics, and I, and I wanted to get a do it sort of fairly well. And uh, I still have that action. Not much left of anything else of it, but mm. I still have the action left uh, from that particular gun. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. You say you didn't want to put. Cheap optics. Oh, yes, uh, I remember your story. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because I did, because I didn't know any better. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things that over the last couple of years, sort of getting a little bit more into the the long-range shooting, something I've, I guess something I've, I've learned is is to maybe not skimp out on the equipment. Um, you know, go, yeah, fine, work with what you've got. And, and shoot and enjoy it. Yep. Um, but I've bought equipment based on the fact that it might do the job and it's cheaper than the thing I really want. And then I've uh, smashed it with a hammer and then bought the other thing that I really wanted in the first place and it's yeah. ended up costing me double. So um, optics is definitely one of those items. Hmm. Um, I'm not saying, you know, don't. Don't put a you know don't put glass on your rifle unless you can afford the the the, the best. Um, yeah, but, but yeah. really really pay attention to what you're buying. Um, I've bought cheap equipment that I've thrown away, and it just mm. hasn't worked. I've I've got the experience with optics on that one. Uh, many many years ago, I bought a my first spotting scope. I bought for about one hundred and eighty dollars, or no, it might even be one hundred and twenty. And I think within the first or second trip. Uh, that spotting scope ended up with a bullet flying through it to see whether we could shoot through a spotting scope. Because <laughs> mm, that's what it was worth. Well, it was probably, yeah, it was, it was much better as a target than it was as a spotting scope. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. repurposed, let's yeah. say. Well they, well, they do say, uh, was it buy once, cry once? Yeah, correct. 
Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. uh, otherwise if you buy the wrong thing and then buy the wrong thing again and then the wrong thing, you cry multiple mm. times. Mm. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, you can you can still buy product that, you know, should be good. You know, you yeah. know all, all, all expectations of it is, is good. Uh, and then it's not. I bought a range finder that I spent, you know, some you know fairly good money on hmm. that, uh, you know, I barely get to 700 metres with. Uh, and it was touted as, you know, twice that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've still got it because I, I, you know, there's, you know, I could sell it for three or four hundred bucks, which um, is yeah. a far cry what away from what I paid. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll hang on to it and, and you know, I'll, I'll find a purpose for it. But, you know, I think it's really important to, and there, you know, there's enough avenues to, to, to find out that information objectively. Yes, uh, and, yeah, and and true. neutrally, you know, these days, whereas back in the day, you know, you had to go to the gun shop and say, "Oh, is this any good?" And they're looking like, "Yeah, it's good. Yeah, you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna love that." You know, and then you, you'd you'd buy it, you'd fork out the uh, you know the cash, and hmm. doesn't do the job. Or, or more to the point, um, I recall you know having to mail order stuff from the US, you know, sight unseen, nobody knew what it was. Hmm. Yeah, here, I mean, you go into a gun shop and say, "I'd, I'd like," you know straight line dies for a six two eight four and they're like what you know so you know the gone are the days of doing that now you can add a, you know just pick your phone up and uh, you'll have all the info you need basically yeah 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 the info yeah. is certainly but but you know by the same token there's a lot of info around there that that you know uh is a combination of opinion and then also bad info mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and certainly you know we um yeah, and, and anything said, you got to sort of back up from multiple sources or sources you really trust, and mm. you know, I'd always encourage anything that we say is certainly most of its opinion. So, yeah, you know, anything we say will add to double your, check, uh, and yeah, your, do your own thoughts. research, absolutely. Because yeah. what works, I think there's there's an element of there's an element, and that's perhaps where I differentiate because there's some some info there is just plain wrong, mm. and then there's some info that. Yeah, for one person it might actually work really well, but for someone else it it, it won't work that well. Yeah. And, and it is about uh, finding the people that you you know you. Um, I think we we spoke about it on a on a previous episode. You know, finding sort of a couple of people uh, that you can you can trust, whether they be people you know or whether they be people you found online that are mm. giving good information. That their reputation is solid, and away you go get mm. that information mm. there. I don't know how we've got onto this from from our first first gun, uh, first gun type things. Know. Has anyone got any other first gun related experiences? Um, I'll kick off with one one more before we finish up, and then you guys can let me know if anything. But I think the first the first gun that I bought um, that you know was along this sort of line was a twenty two to fifty, which is a Remington seven hundred. Now you're not going to say that's a super long range gun, but that was the one we started to learn with and start to push and you know sort of you know you, you buy initially in like 100 meters 150 as we said before and then you 200 and then you start four and you start pushing out to sort of seven eight hundred meters and you go huh oh this is interesting and and um that was a remy that was a second hand vwsf2 and it was um it was good it was a good gun uh still is i've actually still got it. it's had three barrels on it i think um I've, we've told some stories about that one where the accuracy dropped off on, on one of the barrels and it's um very effective it's very much set up as a night gun now it doesn't see the long range stuff from you know most of the time now but it uh that was probably one of the the ones that i remember and that was spending uh, for me then that was big money and and i had a leopold vx3 uh on there which i thought was everything and it was a 
good gun to learn behind. Do you, do you think that's a gun that um, everybody should have? You know, in you know the the, the in in the safe is, is that a gun? Like you know, you mentioned yours is set up as a night gun. I've just yep. I've just bought one. All right, um, what have you got? I bought a Ticker T three. Yep, twenty two fifty. Now I when I say just, uh, you know, it's probably almost three months ago now. Sure. Um, so you nearly got the paperwork back then. Haven't even <laughs> haven't even looked at it. I've right. had it seracoded and it's sitting there. I've got no rail on it, no optics, nothing. I haven't even looked at it. Cool. Um, but uh, I'm setting it up as a night gun. Yep. Um, but do, do you see, you know how like you, you hear people say, oh, you know, everybody should have a twenty two. Do you think the twenty two two fifty for people like us that like a bit of long range shooting and also might go for a bit of a hunt here and there, do you think it's a good option to to have in the safe? That the must have gun, do you think? Because it can go to long range and also do the close up. No. No? Disagree? Yeah. I mean I I I agree that people, you know, of course horses for courses, but having a, a varmint type gun, yes. Caliber wise, twenty two two fifty is good, but I think there are better options. Yeah, in terms of uh, when you threw the the line of, of you know it can go long range, uh, throwing that in there, um, certainly the twenty two two fifty in its normal setup will struggle with that mm. because of the usually because of the twist rates that the twenty two two fifties come out with, they're not yep. susceptible to they're usually like a fourteen twist, mm. and so they're not favourable for for heavy long bullets. Now my 250 in this barrel is is the exception it's a it's a one in ten so i've got a few more options there although having said that i still run 50 grainers in it but for a purely for a purely hunting gun possibly well well this is that's a, i mean that's another night, episode at, at, isn't it yeah correct yeah <laughs> because but, I mean, at, at night you're not shooting probably to 400 meters or 500 meters anyway so or rarely but, i mean yeah uh, look, rarely the 250 the 250 it it does kill you know the majority of animals you're going to spotlight very quickly i mean yeah. you, you hit a fox with a 250 in midsection it's gonna it's not going anywhere mm. um, yeah, you, if, if you're asking for this reason you won't be unhappy with the gun you'll love it yeah mm. it's a great gun the mm. calibers work you know no sweat at all yeah there i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go as far to say everyone has to have one no. who wants a night gun because a 2d3 will do a good job mm. a, a a 204 will do a good job 250 mm. will uh, two, four, three. Uh, some other six mil, some other six point yeah. fives. We we could we could get into that discussion quite easily. Yeah. Um, okay, so but n- n- another question then. Right. Getting back to long range, forget hunting. Yep. Getting back to long range, someone that's you know sitting out there at home at the moment who, you know, may have a twenty two or a two two three or whatever, do a bit of hunting. Yep. Wants to get into long range. Um, what do they buy? Caliber. Andrew? 308. Yep. Rusty? 6.5. Creed. Okay. Yep. I'm not cool. And, and You're not cool with that. <laughs> and and I um if I went back to oh, how long ago? A year? I would have said 308. In fact, I think I did on some episodes then mm. And, mm. and I've changed it. I think we have covered why I've changed that and there is a question I know that we've got waiting in the wings for future episodes as to why and perhaps we'll re- revisit that topic as to why, mm. um, what the recommended side of things is. But um, I'll very quickly give you three points as to why I justify it. One, there's a lot of available factory guns. Two, um, factory ammo is 
dropping in price and is easy to get a hold of. Mm. And three, there's lots of information data and they're, they're an appropriate caliber for that side of things. Yeah. Um, not to say three away, it's not a good option, but they've, they've changed their position in the market, the six, five mm. creeds and therefore they perhaps sit in a better position mm. Mm. for that okay. side of things. And, 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 you know, fair answer is probably what I expected to hear. And, I mean, and the three away actually has the same, the same benefits in terms of mm. points. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, Northern Territory, I couldn't take my six five because it's a Ruger precision. Yep. Um, so I well, took you and my, I both ran three hundred eights up there. Correct. Yeah. I took my three hundred eight, and after shooting my six five for twelve months, uh, a lot, I actually struggled to get it, to keep a good picture through in the scope after a shot. Yep. Um, and then acquire the target quickly afterwards through recoil, uh, which is a lot heavier than uh, than my six five. So I, I would probably say six five based on that, but a three oh eight, you know, you can go out and take that hunting. I suppose you do that with six five as well, but yeah. uh, I think they're both good options. Yeah, easy. Well, we have uh, we have digressed, uh, I think, off our uh, initial topic, um, but. Uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed some reminiscing and some nostalgia from us listening to our, our early days. Uh, again, we, we would love to hear you know what you guys did and if you got any interesting stories from your first purchase or from your first time shooting. Um, I, I'm sure some people have some very uh, much more exciting stories on their first time shooting than us. Yeah, that was a pretty, a pretty standard, um, I would say. Not necessarily boring, Galen, uh, just, just pretty standard. Um yeah, so let us know. It would be really interesting to see and, and see, you know, I know we all come from very diverse backgrounds, so it would be very interesting to see where our listeners are up to and that side of things. We've got some uh, some good, exciting episodes coming up, guys, so we're looking forward to that. We have put some information out and people we're looking for to join us, so um, keep an eye on our Facebook page. It's probably the best way to do that. And make sure you uh, yeah check it, follow us on there. From time to time we go live when we do one of these things, as we did earlier in this podcast. And Galen, thank you very much for joining us tonight. No problem. Andrew, always uh, great to have you back again. I shall be here more frequently. Yeah, hopefully. no problem, mate. We've uh, we've all been a little bit slack in getting to the podcast. We took a little bit of a break, but uh, yeah, hopefully we've come back with a bunch of uh, information and chat and uh, entertain you guys who are listening to us wherever you may be doing that. All right, guys, thank you uh, very much again for listening and uh, we shall catch up with you all soon. Don't forget October 13th in Melbourne uh, at the – I've forgotten again now. Terminus. (laughs) You're right. Thanks for doing the plug. That that worked very well. That was in uh, Fitzroy North and uh, we will be there on – well, I'll be there with a few other guys from the 13th – from on the 13th of October, which is a Friday night. from about 7 o'clock onwards. Come down for a beer and uh, we will catch you there. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile.